This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Bob, and with me I have Peter the Falcon swooping in from the north. I'm a bird, motherfucker. And and Mr. Sean Abuse Puppy. I don't like the symbolism implied by a falcon and a puppy on the same podcast. <laughs> Bye, oh, Sean. No. <laughs> uh, That's just the end of me right there. Never heard from again. <laughs> so, Peter is back for two reasons. One, we're going to talk about some 40k stats with you guys. He is, of course, the stat man. I, I really wish I could play the scat man on cue. You guys know that oh, song? man, I love that song. <laughs> uh, yep. So glorious. <laughs> the stat yeah. man. Yeah, it, anyways. Uh, <laughs> he's the stat man course peter's the man he's got all those good post faq stats he's got more tournament results in so he's going to make comparisons on factions between how they performed pre and post faq it's going to be great but also the reason why i brought peter on is now he is an official chapter tactics co-host i think he's worked really hard on it it was a unanimous decision to let him in uh and by unanimous i meant from the other co-hosts not you guys although i'm sure 80 percent of you guys would have said yes it's always that 20% you have to account for. The contrarian internet. That's <laughs> always holds true no matter what. But, Peter, thank you very much for both accepting the the job of a co-host and also for regularly coming on and providing great content for us and for the listeners. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh, I listen to you all the time. Uh, you put me to sleep at night sometimes. It's glorious. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. I gotta get better at that. I, I can't imagine. I can't even put my daughter to sleep at night, so so I can't even imagine how Peter goes to sleep at night. But it's your it works. It's your dulcet, dulcet tones. <laughs> uh, so before we begin, I've got a couple of announcements to make. Uh, the first and the lighter announcement is we're going to have a Black Friday sale at Frontline Gaming this year. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. Uh, I have more control now over this, both the secondhand shop and also I've been handed the reins to the Games Workshop side as well um, now we are limited by the way we can handle discounts on gw so kind of keep posted for that stuff uh, watch signals on wednesday for sure definitely but we're going to have a big black friday sale uh, the secondhand shop on ebay is going to be roaring i'm going to have tons of items on there and i'm, I'm going to discount everything and then i'm going to probably make everything a best or best offer item too so you guys are will be able to haggle if you think an item on ebay that we're selling it's a little too high 
you want to haggle a couple bucks, save a couple more bucks on top of the discount, you can go right ahead. And that's going to happen pretty much all of November going through Black Friday. Uh, so keep an eye on that. And then, as always, we'll have FLG mats at a discount, lots of other good stuff. So tune into Signals and also go to FrontlineGaming.org where you can find all those great deals. Now, second bit of news. I, I like to think of this podcast as, as a bubble. Uh, where occasionally aspects of my personal life will get in, maybe some some things. I think I've talked about a, a movie once or twice. Um, but I would just like to to take a quick moment, uh, a brief moment of silence to reflect back on Mr. Stan Lee, who passed away today, November 12th, 2018. Uh, rarely, rarely do I talk about things, events that happen, but I feel like his passing... It's such a, a big loss for nerddom in general. Um, I know a lot of my friends and myself included have just have been entertained by by him and his words and his work. Uh, and so I just wanted to take a moment to remember him. Um, he was he was a he was a fucking legend. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. I, I was looking for the right word. Um, but he, he was he was a visionary. He he definitely made what we do now the podcasting and, and watching the Avengers movies and, and kind of nerdiness in general, he definitely mainstreamed it to the point that I think it's a lot more accepted culturally, um, which is great for all of us, right? So we're, we're all let our nerd flags fly more. And I just, I just, obviously I think it, I think he wasn't solely responsible for that. Um, but I, I feel like in a small part, we wouldn't be doing what we were doing now if it wasn't for people, hard work from people like him. So Brief, brief moment of uh, silence for Mr. Stanley. All right, we're moving on, bravely on, to the two majors that happened this weekend. Two 100-person events, uh, both very different in styles and missions, but, of course, both 100-person events, very, very large events, pillars of the community in terms of the people that go to them. And, of course, I'm talking about Dubois GT and Warzone Atlanta. And so we're going to talk about the Dubois GT first. Uh, there were only two people who went undefeated at the Dubois GT, and I'm just going to go ahead and say there. There's Nick Rose, Mr. Nick Rose, and Mr. William Kim. So uh, Nick Rose won with his Gene Sealer Colt list. Uh, it was, if you if you followed along with the SoCal Open uh, news, um, specifically the Twitch channel, you would have watched Nick Rose play Brandon Grant uh, on stream. And he brought, uh, I I'd say he brought like a, a different list than what he had, but he's brought kind of like the same style of list Nick Rose has been running since, basically since ETC, where, right, where he was on the winning ETC team. Uh, so, Peter, going into this, were you kind of like so shocked by what Nick Rose brought or... Uh, no, I had the pleasure of uh, watching Nick's game against Brandon at uh, SoCal Open uh, while I was helping with the, the Twitch stream. And the the guy, like, you can never count out somebody of his caliber. Like, he, he, I'm sure he could take a box of Kleenex to a Warhammer 40k tournament and beat everybody with it, um, given the right uh, the right scenario. The guy's just awesome. He's just such a, a crisp player. He's generally very clean. Um uh, yeah, like there's not much I can say about that. Uh, one thing I will mention is there were two other undefeated players at um, at Du Bois. They went 4-0-1. They did get the the technicality on the draw, but th they were there too. Uh, David Pesh and uh, T.J. Lanigan. Uh, but don't want to don't want to count them out. 
Absolutely. I apologize, Dave and TJ. Uh, you guys, of course, also went undefeated. I, I was I, I was referring to the five and zero players. I should have should have clarified that for sure, for sure. And I mean, a draw is really a loss because um, if if you're not first, you're last, and that's something everybody should uh, <laughs> should take with them when they go to any tournament, right? Yes. So, uh, going on to Nick Rose's list, I, I wanted to talk about this list because it, Nick Nick has been doing well with Gene Steeler Colt. Um, but he hasn't actually been winning a whole lot. He's been getting top eights, top fives, you know, going undefeated, going four zero and one consistently. But I, I, I want to say, without looking at the ITC, I want to say this is his one of his big wins. Um, I think it's probably his biggest solo win as a player um, this season. It's at a one hundred person event, a more than one hundred person event, um, going undefeated and and go, pulling six points ahead on on William Kim which is half a game essentially points wise. Um, so this is a very dominant performance from Nick Rose. And when we talked at the SoCal open, um, he was talking about his list and he'd brought like Goliath rock grinders, um, which are, are awful by the way, his words, not mine. So if you're a Gene Steeler cult player, get mad at your own. Do not, do not get mad at me. Um, but yeah, the, according to him, rock grinder Goliaths are really awful. So he switched over to chimeras, um, which obviously worked out for him. Uh, but I'd never actually played a gene circle list until I played, uh, Jeff in control when he was, when he came down for the weekend and he brought his gene circle list. And I got absolutely demolished by aberrants and that abominant with the primus, um, mm-hmm. because the, the abominant and the primus give them like a two up. They, so they hit on twos and they also get like re-rolls. So they just get a ton of attacks that do damage left and right. And they come in, um, and usually with the primus, you get to like re-roll two dice and pick the highest. So if they're rolling like a four or five up, they're usually coming in and getting in your face and charging. So, uh, aberrants are absolutely brutal. Um, and looking at Nick's list, he's got he's got enough of them to be hammer list on top of the infantry, tr- you know, the infantry dedicated transports, and uh, of course he's got that tyranid list with or the tyranid side with the neurothropes and the gene stealers. It's just a very very nasty list. Yeah, the, the, a lot of people like have, haven't really had the chance to experience gene stealer cults, and that that can be to like the gene stealer player's advantage. Uh, but that abominant in particular is such a beast for the eighty points or whatever it happens to be, right? Like just brutal, brutal monster in close combat. Have you have you got a chance, Sean? You actually do well at tournaments, um, <laughs> so have you, oh, have you got a chance oh. to play? play and beat Gene Steeler Cole. You know what, Pete? It was much a shock, much a slight on you as me. So <laughs> we're in the I, same boat. Yeah, I haven't faced a lot of um, Gene Steeler Cult proper. Um, I have faced a number of Tyranid lists using Gene Steeler Cult as allies, which is similar, but not exactly the same, obviously. Um, the thing that really strikes me about Nick's version of the list he's running here is he actually doesn't have very many bodies. Uh, he's running three units of the the 10 man basic troops he's got a couple 16 man gene stealer units and then he just kind of has some vehicles and a whole lot of characters so people typically think of gene stealer cold as a very horde oriented list but this version of his list really isn't no it, it really like he's got a lot of bodies of the neophytes but i, I mean like it's not it's not a, a astro military it's like branding grant levels of infantry right and so he really has to rely on on the kind of deployment shenanigans and and the character yeah. damage output or the damage output from his characters and i think that's a lot of what it came down to uh du Bois 
I, do you know what missions they use? Were they just running straight ITC missions, or no? They had a, a modified. Um, they, uh, they were their own missions. Um, okay. A lot of it was very similar. Like you score a point every turn if you're holding an objective. Um, each mission had its own kind of uh, explicit secondaries. You you didn't mm-hmm. quite pick them. Um, okay. There were a lot more points you could get per per game as well. But but uh, yeah, it was its own thing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it... Certainly, he has a lot of like. Like a lot of the Thousand Suns lists and other armies we're seeing these days, he leans a lot on his characters. It's those abominants and the neurothropes and everything else that are doing most of the work for him, along with those couple big blocks of of, of aberrants. Yeah, and, and I'm glad we I'm glad you asked you talked about that, Sean, um, because I'd like to note that both of these tournaments are not ITC. They're they're not ITC. They don't use ITC missions, um, which isn't a knock on the tournaments, but. Uh, it's important to note because there's two both tournaments have Tyranids in some capacity in in the finals or, or with undefeated Tyranid players, and that's a little bit of a spoiler alert if you keep an, an eye on Warzone Atlanta coverage. Um, but basically, I, I like to see I like to see similar factions do well across multiple formats because that just shows how good those factions are and also players too right like nick rose Mm -hmm. just did perform pretty well at the socal open and he's consistently doing well and you know the socal open is different from nova where he did well which is different from du bois gt where he did well right and so it when we look at these formats um you know don't be so quick to to uh say like oh well these aren't itc so these stats are irrelevant the stats we talk about later on in the episode because that's that's very untrue right it, it's still 40k there's still point scoring in some capacity and as reese has told me multiple times uh 40k is in a vacuum simply just you kill something or you stand somewhere and that's basically how you win 40k everything comes down to just those two things um so there there will be there will be some things you have to keep in mind like for example Warzone Atlanta uh as as uh, someone who attended the event and actually was in one of the top tables um they said that the winning lists at Warzone Atlanta were not going to be ITC winning lists right and that's fair but the factions themselves and the players themselves that's that's a completely different story so anyways moving on to Mr. William Kim uh who went undefeated with chaos demons and he actually had some forge world in his list but not the forge world you would expect he actually had some renegades um he had the renegade equivalent of the 30 32 brave men um yeah, the, as the disloyal 32 in his case yeah the, the mm-hmm. disloyal 32 um so he had a chaos undivided detachment with a change caster a demon prince of chaos uh corn specifically uh blood letters horror horrors and nurglings a big unit of blood letters, a big unit of horrors, and a big unit of nerglings. Um, and then he had a thousand suns attachment with Armon, a demon prince's inch, cultists, and then two units of big zangors. Uh, and then the the disloyal thirty two two renegade commanders and thirty renegade militia squads, or I.e. infantry squads. And I'm willing to bet that they were probably looked a lot like Cadians. Probably looked like <laughs> Cadians evil with Cadians. really angry faces. Yeah. <laughs> Darkerly, darker painted Cadians. Um, something also to note about his list is he has about 150 points available for summoning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he, there's about yeah. Yeah, and and he had a he was Chaos Demons primary, um, but it's a, but uh, he had 826 points of Chaos Demons and 826 points of Thousand Suns, so it, it was more of like Chaos Soup list, um, 
you know, it, with an emphasis on chaos demons because you're summoning some chaos demons. Uh, but in general, it, it's just a very super threat heavy list. Um, so you, you've got your demon princes, which are which are fine, right? You've got the little smite batteries. It's only got two of them, so he's not spamming smite. Um, he's got other characters like Armon and the change caster kind of like helping in there. Uh, but the meat of the list is he's got big unit of blood letters, big unit of horrors, and two big units of zangors, and that's that's it. That's like his his offensive firepower, right? So he's got these. The I believe the horrors and the blood letters can both deep strike, come in and deep strike and kill things. Yep. Um, and then the zangors can obviously do the same thing. Uh, so he kind of just kind of like sits on the board. You know, hides his characters, does his thing, and then turn two just comes down and starts obliterating entire masses of whatever. And so, unlike Nick Rose's list, this is a uh, a large body list, right? He's got 120 bodies of of random chaos bombs. They're gonna come down and absolutely obliterate things in your army. And then he's got a little bit of summoning on top of that. Um, so it's it's a very very nasty list. And I actually kind of suspect. Uh, to see more lists like this, um, I predicted that Chaos were going to do better now that the FAQ has has come out, um, and William Kim is proving me correct. Good job, William. I think the thing that strikes me about his list that I would love to talk to him and hear why he made the choice is he's running his Disloyal 32 in the backfield, but I'm not entirely certain why he picked them. Presumably he had a reason, but Chaos Demons and... Thousand Sons already have access to good backfield scoring units. It would have been would have been very simple to include a bunch of, uh, say, Brimstone Horrors or some more Cultists or something to do that job. So I'm curious as to why he chose to bring Renegade Cultists as opposed to his other options there. I can really I only think... see it as just like five CP for a hundred and seventy points, eighty-five or points it is for them. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I but... think it's go ahead. Uh, Brimstone Horrors are actually cheaper than the uh, in- Renegade Infantry choices, though. But for right. I think choices, 30 I guess, points. would be the only thing. Yeah, because right. the Commanders right. are only 25 points each. That's true. So yeah, That would so, be I mean, what I would think, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah I would... I'm, I'm curious about the decision. Like, certainly I can see where there are reasons he does gain the benefit of the Mortars and some of the other options he has there but it's it's an interesting choice that's that's like i was saying that's what jumps out to me the most is yeah. uh what the thing that i don't see an obvious reason for yeah and, and you know what a lot of times those kind of choices are are made just because like he had the models like you have the models laying around like there's been be. times when i've just like given a dude a plasma pistol i'm like oh i'm just gonna spend the points for this plasma pistol because i can't find like a sergeant without a plasma pistol and i want to rip his plasma pistol off um, so that's definitely happened. I've never done it with an entire detachment, um, but uh, you know, it's it is it is interesting. And I'd like to I'd like to ask him, uh, William, if you're around, if you want to shoot me an email to frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail dot com, um, if you were uh, like considering something else, or if the renegades even mattered, uh, if they did you well or not, because that that is a very interesting decision because they are not a widely picked army, like as as Sean Sean would probably agree with, the renegades yeah. are. Yep, definitely not the best option. Yeah, no, they've, they've been in 11 lists uh, since I started recording data. So <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, almost no one with any scores recorded for uh, rene- Renegades and Heretics. It's just Imperial Guard is better. Yeah, so so moving on to TJ Lanigan. Um, I want to give TJ Lanigan props. So these Nurgle demon lists that you see with the, the Plague Bearers, the Plague Burst Crawlers, the Demon Princes, 
all the weird named Nurgle dudes, uh, the, you never see them score very high, right? So normally they'll like they'll be undefeated, or they'll they'll have like one loss, but they'll have the lowest points in their bracket. But T.J. Lanigan is only uh, ten points off of William Kim in terms of battle points, right? So he had 198 battle points versus William Kim's 208, which is actually really high. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's just the way Du Bois scores it. Um, but even like at Nova, for example, a uh, completely different mission set than what the ITC does. Even at Nova, those Nurgle Demon lists score really low. And that's just because the Nurgle Demon lists are they're not very mobile. They don't kill things as well, but they're also, they don't die. And so they play more of like an attrition, low point scoring game. So like if you watch football, think of them as like the, the Baltimore, 2000 Baltimore defense, right? Where you're winning games nine to five or nine to six. Uh, versus like a high-flying greatest show on turf that's scoring like 50, 60 points a game, right? But with like a meh defense, so high-scoring points games. Um, so TJ TJ did a really good job scoring a lot of points. Um, and even his draw was high. It was a 26-point draw. Uh, and looking back at some of people's losses, a lot of people's losses were like were like 30, or someone lost by 30. Wow, it's crazy. But 8, 17, 9. Um, so... So TJ Lanigan scoring a lot of points. So um, Peter, Sean, do you guys maybe looking at his list? Do you guys see maybe why he scored more points? Um, obviously, we don't have Du Bois missions wish with us, so it might have something to do with that. Yeah, unfortunately, without the missions, it is hard to say a lot. He does have a little bit more firepower than your typical Nurgle list is. He's got the three plague burst crawlers, but he's also got Ariman and a pair of demon princes. So princes, he's actually, he's actually yeah. throwing down a, su- a surprising amount of damage. Yeah, he's got yeah. the smite spa- uh, to back up what he's doing, and I mean, there are no slouches in close combat. Um, from what I remember off the top of my head from checking out the Du Bois missions over the weekend, um, a couple of them in particular uh, really emphasized um, board control. So a list like this mm-hmm. will get a lot of extra points that way. There were there were several for sure that were like score an extra two points per round if you were holding th- at least three objectives on the board um, it, rather than holding more, and then you would get more points for holding more than your opponent on top of that. Um, so you could I could see where at least in a couple of the missions he he could like spiral out just by having those plague bearers sit on an objective and never leave. So. And plague bearers yeah. are a lot faster than people tend to think when they're on the move. They're moving like seven plus d six inches when they've got their full aura support. Yeah, and then if they have a normal, which uh, TJ didn't bring, but I mean, then they're also like advancing and still capable of charging and doing all sorts of shenanigans. So yeah, yep. they're definitely little speedy little buggers. All right, so moving on to Dave Pes- Pesky. It's not Pesky. Peshe. Pesh. Dave. No, Dave was... P. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Dave P uh, uh, was running a, a list that we'd we'd I'd heard personally heard a lot about and uh, a lot of people talked about, but I I'd actually never seen it perform this well, and I, I didn't see it very often. This was like he was running a Black Legion cultist spam list with with Abaddon and you know over over a hundred cultists, uh, and then a secondary detachment of a demon detachment with a bloodletter bomb, a baby bloodletter bomb, a horror bomb, and then more cultists and Aramon and a thousand sun detachment. He only has one uh, bloodletter bomb. With a bunch bomb. of sorcerers. It's, it's just 20 of them. Yeah, oh, I said a baby. A yes, he he's has a baby horror bloodletter. bomb, a bloodletter bomb, and then and he's the got the Imperial Night horror. Killer. Yep. Did yeah. I say bloodletter twice? My bad. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, it's okay. So, 
the, the demons all start to meld together after a while, you know, <laughs> bomb, bomb. Anyway, well. uh, <laughs> um, but Dave, Dave brought uh, another heavy infantry list, another heavy infantry chaos list. Um, mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that, you know, Abaddon and Black Legions do really well. Uh, there's a player down here, a local player, James Carmona, who's super down on the Chaos Base Spring Codex. And he makes a lot of really good points. The Chaos Base Spring Codex was definitely hurt a by the post by the FAQ. It wasn't wasn't helped a whole lot because Alpha Legion got nerfed so hard. Um so the Chaos Space Marine Codex really doesn't have a lot going for it outside of cultists and key characters. Um but uh and you know Berserkers it, and Noise Marines. The Berserkers are okay. Yeah, noise Marines are definitely a thing. Yeah. Still. They're, they're all good. Uh, it's not to say there aren't a lot of problems with it. The fact that anything with the vehicle keyword in that entire Codex book is just utter trash, even more so than the Space Marine book, is yeah. pretty bad. Uh, but there are some good things in there as well. Yeah. The The thing that, that bums me about it is, is outside of Abaddon, um, and I guess Armon, but Armon's more Thousand Suns guy now. Yeah, he's uh, not in the Codex they, anymore. Yeah, their named characters aren't very good. Card's their named good. characters are all- Car- eh. He fights twice Good. with strength eight attacks. Define... And six of them on the charge. Uh, I guess. I guess. I guess they're not very common at the highest level. Yeah, so... I, I will say that yes. Normally, you're not <laughs> seeing things in power armor in the KS Space Marine uh, lists, and also not seeing vehicles. You're seeing a lot of cultists in Abaddon for the most part. Yeah. Um, but yes, world leaders, um, berserkers are definitely good. You still see them in lists, um, in rhino carries, for example, sometimes or just period. Mm-hmm. Um, like Sean, Sean is definitely making some good points there. Noise Marines, a uh, 20 man noise Marine blob will tear apart what you want it to tear apart generally. Like, so well, that's all even the, it's almost unavoidable just because the way they shoot when they die. Yeah. 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 They're, they are definitely rough, but it's nice to see. Nice to see uh, Abaddon cultist spam list. Um, it's a list I've seen around a lot that had that has actually had this level of success often. Um, so moving on to Mister Devin Swan, going four mm-hmm. and one with Tau. Kind of, kind of your typical. There is no. Is there really a typical Tau list these days? It's it's not far off what I tip it, what I see for a lot of Tau lists. He's got the major features: three firesight marksmen, several riptides, drones to protect them. Um, I think the interesting part about what he's doing is that he is running uh, Shadow Sun Bomb, uh, which is to say he's using Commander Shadow Sun, their town-named character, who can trigger the reroll all misses or a twice per game rather than just once. Um, hmm. And then he has three Riptides and a unit of three Broadsides, um, which if he has all of them in range of Shadow Sun and re-rolling everything, they'll just absolutely destroy anything they get to shoot at. Um, which is pretty terrifying, especially because Commander Shadow Sun can spend one command point and give up all her who even cares about it shooting to make that broadside unit re-roll all failed wounds as well. Um, but the sort of the big caveat there is the clause anything they can shoot at, there's a lot of times they just don't get to shoot at stuff. And I think that's probably what lost him his game was someone was just locking his models in combat and he didn't get to shoot at them. Yeah, and his loss was high. It was a thirty point loss, so which is an insanely high loss. That's, that's what was basically it again. I don't have that. 
offhand uh, here. I, I can probably pull that up, but but yeah. So so Devin Swan. It was Devin Swan. By the way, his loss was. Oh, this isn't gets. So yeah. Nick Rose scored fifty points that game, which I think is the maximum point yes, scored. Yes, maxed him out. Yeah. I can. So yeah. I. Smites yeah. and locking him in combat is the bane of that list. That that list that that fight might have been a must have been a bloodbath, just an absolute just everything dying. Maybe um, if again, if you don't get to shoot at them, that list doesn't do any damage. And yeah, but, they I have mean, Devin a did score thirty ways. points. Sure, uh, he he. Pro- I'm sure he did everything he could and killed what he he was able to. But um, Gene Steel or Colt arc can be very problematic for Tau because they have the ability to shut down Overwatch, to penalize your two yeah. hits, to pop out of reserves where you don't want them to, etc. Yeah, and I don't see a lot of bubble wrapping on Devin in Devin's list. No, that Not is really. a huge weakness of his. Is he just has three squads of fire warriors and like three squads of drones, and that's all of his bubble wrap. He does not have the same quality of Overwatch that some Tau lists can bring. Yeah, and and so that's your top five. Uh, Devin Swan. Uh, I just wanted to give him a quick shout out because he scored two hundred eight, two hundred seven battle points, which is one less than William Kim, and which is thirty four points higher than the next highest person, Sam Lucidi. Um, which is an insane <laughs> amount of battle points, all things considered. Uh, and then top 10, Mr. Sam Lucidi going 4-1 and one with Death Guard. As, oh my god, Exar Exodar, yeah. that, that name, uh, with Mr. with High Fleet Krakens with Tyranids, Ken Coriale with another Tau list, uh, and then we have to find David Koshka all the way at ninth place to find our first Imperial Knight, which is only a Knight Gallant, uh, and then Caravella rounding out the top 10 with Alpha Legion, uh, a lot uh, of, go ahead. Sorry, Bob. But one one person I I really think deserves a mention uh, is Sasha Edelkraut, who uh, actually was four and zero going into round five. He had a chance to win the whole thing, uh, and he's Uh-oh. running an Imperial Fists brigade. An Imperial, so like in, the actual with, Imperial Fists. Yes, with one with one uh, Inquisitor, and a Calexus <laughs> Assassin. So, anyway, so he's running. Oh, go ahead. He, so I just want to say I, I think, and I have to apologize. And maybe Sasha, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, um, but like three months ago when I was on this for the first time, I made a joke about uh, poor players bringing their Imperial Fist Brigade and making Adeptus Astartes garbage for their win rates. Uh, I'm really sorry uh, because <laughs> he you, heard you have you have proven me wrong, and I'm <laughs> very happy for it. I was rooting for you so hard. I don't know who you are. But I was so excited to see a 4-0 Imperial Fists Brigade uh, just ripping it up. Uh, sure, all your games were super close. You didn't have a ton of battle points, but you scraped them together, and that made me very proud. So so another thing about Sasha um, is it, he's, he's kind of got like that... I want to call it the like Space Marine complex with the list-wise. And that is basically his list looks awful, but it performed well. So Nick Notavati's list is very similar to this. Uh, Reese's list, Ultramarine list at Nova, same thing. Um, and every time I randomly see like a Space Marine list perform, while I look at it, I'm like, how, how did you win? Uh, Sean Sharp on Relentless D, same thing. Brings like random Leviathan dreadnoughts and other things, and goes like four and one. Uh, Aaron Wish's lists, random Power Armor Dark Angels lists that look absolutely awful, and Aaron's just like destroying people. Right. I mean, so, he brought two tarantulas. Sasha brought two tarantulas to this. Yeah, yeah. Sasha, <laughs> Sasha's list is like is like the king worst looking best performance list, right? So he's got a captain with a jump pack, 
uh, a librarian on a bike with four staff, a lieutenant for his HQ choices. His three elites are contemptor, a contemptor dreadnought with a power fist and a Karis pattern assault cannon. So the one that you get out of the Betrayal Kauth box, like the, the generic one, like not, not even fully kitted out Forge World one, just the generic one that you get. <laughs> Vanguard veterans with two storm shields and Three a chain swords on everyone yeah. else. Uh, two, yeah, his, sto- his two sergeant storm has a storm shield as well. Oh, okay, so so three storm shields, um, and then the sergeant has thunder hammer and melta bombs, uh, and then a relic Venator, uh, Forge World gun, um, which is actually pretty good. The the yeah. Venator is pretty solid. Um, he's got two tactical marine squads, one with a heavy bolter, one with a missile launcher, three scout squads, and then an intercessor squad of five. So it's a very mixed variety of troop choices. And then, like you said, two tarantulas with heavy bolters, which I he had to have taken just because they're the cheapest fast attack option in that slot. They, yeah, there's no sure. other reason why he. Took well, because his third is a, is a single attack bike with a heavy bolter, so it's yeah. guaranteed. He just didn't. He needed points. Yeah, so. he probably didn't have a third forge world tarantula lying around <laughs> or something. So I, brought, I would prefer the he brought real tarantulas, bike. is what I'm imagining. This inti- like he had spiders on the board, and that's why he won. <laughs> Like, that's the only way. <laughs> With little heavy bolters attached onto <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, he just glued them uh, on their heads. Anyway. And then he brought two rapier carriers with quad cannon, which I actually don't like. Uh, I used them a lot uh, two years ago, or last year I used them a ton. I just don't didn't like the rapier carriers with the quad cannons. Uh, and then one thunderfire cannon, and then one contemptor mortis dreadnought, which is the forge world dreadnought with two of a single type of gun. In this case, it's got two twin las cannons or four las cannons. Um, so that's his heavy support slots, and then, like you said, he has two auxiliary detachments, one with an Inquisitor, an Order Hereticus Inquisitor with a Storm Bolter and a Null Rod. Um, I, I can't imagine that that he had any other job other than messing with Psychers in some capacity with the Null Rod, although I, I have never seen an Inquisitor in 8th edition taken, so I have no idea what the Null Rod does, guys, so, so bear with me um, while I, I don't talk about what it does. I'm sure it's really cool. Or something. It it isn't, uh, honestly. It's kind of <laughs> underwhelming. It isn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to say it, but the last time I looked at the Inquisition Codex, I, I pretty much gave everything a resounding meh and then moved on. So it's I haven't and I haven't looked bad. at it since. But um, you know, he brought one. He brought a guy, a little mm-hmm. a little discount assassin, uh, and then a Klexus assassin. Um so uh, you know, Sasha uh, I'm gonna poke fun a little fun at your list. It's definitely not optimized. I definitely see room for improvement in the whole list. But congratulations, doing so well with that list uh, and making it to the top table with um, pure imperial fists. It, it it speaks to the space marine list in my heart. Um, it, the one that I want to bring. The the one it, that's go go ahead. Peter. Sorry, I just I gotta cut you off to just say like I know we're laughing a lot at this list, but. Like kudos, you have a lot of heavy bolters in this list, um, and yeah. you, I hope you went up against just a ton of hordes and just tore them to pieces and laughed the entire time. But yeah. still, like kudos to you, bud. Like this is exactly the type of thing I love to see in a Warhammer game: is a list like this just wrecking people or squeaking out victories. To me, that's the same because if you don't win, yeah. you lose. So yeah, and and to be honest, it looks like the kind of list that I would just. I like it. I, I've got a bunch of. I've got like hundreds of thousands of points of Space Marine and Barrage. It looks like I would have just grabbed like a random box of Space Marines and then just put it onto the tabletop. That's what this list <laughs> looks like to me. Like I swear I have like a Tarantula or two and Contemptor Dreadnoughts in like a box somewhere just sitting by themselves. So, anyways, 
very very geared to the meta very, a very very good list i'm sure you i'm sure you thought a lot about it i'm sure you didn't just grab a random box and run it um and also you know it, it it's weakness is knights but we didn't see a lot of knights here in this in this tournament um so you know he definitely he definitely if he was trying to you know target the meta and and bring a meta busting list it definitely worked um considering the top four players all had these heavy infantry lists um that i think his list would give them a rough time with so congratulations sasha do, uh, doing so well uh and then that's it so your 16 players went four and one or better um it's a very very good showing from du bois i uh, wish it was six rounds um six rounds usually gives you a good clear solidified top eight um, but that is not to be. I understand how hard it is to run a six-round event, uh, and so we're going to move on to Warzone Atlanta. And so uh, before we go into the Warzone Atlanta results, uh, I'd like to say two things. Uh, one, it was battle points. So it, when I'm going to talk about people who went five and zero, um, who are perhaps lower ranked in the rankings, um, and that's because uh, I don't agree with the battle points scoring system. Um, I know if I know a lot of TOs like to use it, and then that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that you are a bad TO for using the battle point system. Uh, I just personally feel like if we're going off pure competitive merit, um, going five and zero to me is is worth noting more than going like three and two but getting more battle points by like crushing three players that you beat right because because they're maybe they're really bad or maybe you just had a really good matchup or they were you know they got really unlucky or whatever right so i I just feel like the wins are more important than the points scored um and so i like to give people note give people who went five and oh um some you know some recognition even though they might have gotten like like been in like 50th place or whatever uh, and also, it, I, I remember one time I played a battle points game and I played against um, a really good player down here in San Diego. Uh, and we played, we pulled each other round one and we had one of the best games either of us have ever played. Uh, and, you know, we fought each other tooth and nail, fought for every point, denied each other every point. Ended up being a really low scoring game round one. A- and then round three, when we looked at kind of like the parent, like the see where the results would lie to see if we would make it. We saw that we were both really lowly ranked. Uh, and we had no no way of getting any sort of prize support because we both scored so poorly um, in our in that first game. Um, and so ever since then, I've always kind of just had a bad feeling in my mouth if I ever was ever part of a battle points list um, because I felt like I was punished for playing this really intense game and beating this really good player. Um, but anyways, second point of order about the Warzone Atlanta uh, is that they online if you if you go to warzone atlanta results and look at people online if you look to like the best general which shout out to adam abramowicz who did absolutely amazing at the warzone atlanta um he made the top table um you know adam did really well shout out to the best general it's a great podcast if you have a chance go give him a listen uh but if you look at some of the coverage of warzone atlanta uh, a lot of people will talk about who the winner was um, and who the winner was is not the person who is ranked number one and who I'm going to talk about. And that's Mr. Red Powell. Uh, and that's because Warzone Atlanta, it, they have their num- the winner of their event is someone who won best overall, uh, not best general. So I'm focusing on just pure, you know, tournament points results uh, and nothing else. I'm not looking at their paint score. I'm not looking at their sportsmanship or whatever. Uh, I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from the winner of Warzone Atlanta. Uh, I'm just. That's just what this podcast is focused about. It's, it's just purely competitive results and all that. Not looking at points or anything like that. Uh, so, Mr. Uh, Red Powell coming in first place 
with 137 battle points, uh, going 5-0 and with the Prophets of Flesh Detachment. Uh, Dark Eldar pulling it through. Uh, and then we had second place Nick Nadavati, um winning with Tyranids. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, as as I understand it, he was running a list that was that was really tuned to the Warzone Atlanta missions. Um, and so if you if you do get a chance to see Nick Nadavati's list, just keep in mind that if you play in ITC missions, it won't perform as well in ITC missions versus the Warzone Atlanta and Atlanta missions. So just keep that in mind. I, I will uh, say then, to that, sorry, uh, just before you go on, um, like uh, Colin Sherman played a very similar list to this and did very well in ITC. Um, mm-hmm. I think the only difference between what what he would say this list ever uh, would how this list should perform in ITC would be he would drop one of the Hive Tyrants for more Gene Stealers, and then I think that you would have a much more competitive, like a more ITC competitive list. So it's really not like that far off when you look at it. Uh, compared with what kind of metas we're seeing right now. Like, a lot of people are kind of uh, skewed by old One-Eye, but he's a monster against Imperial Knights. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's no accident that Colin's list is very similar to Nick's. Nick is sort of Colin's mentor. He's part of Nick's training program and has been taking a lot of advice from him, and the two of them are friends. And... Um, yeah, Nick's list is amazingly good. Tyranids are very, very good if you're a good player. Yeah, yeah that's it, the big thing. Is you have to be so specific with them. Like, if you make a mistake, you pay for it. Yes. Yeah. It, it, the other cool thing is, is you Tyranids kind of have, like, the trifecta right now. And I'm counting Nick Rose as a Tyranid player, but there are a lot of strong Tyranid performances at the Boys GT outside of Nick Rose. Um, but you mm-hmm. have an undefeated victory in Cooper Waddell at SoCal Open. You have an undefeated win at at uh, Warzone Atlanta with Nick Navati, and then you have multiple top eight finishes and an undefeated win in Nick Rose, who was also running Gene Stiller Colt with Tyranids. Um, but the point is, is that Tyranids, the bugs, are looking really good right now. Um, post FAQ, mm-hmm. they've got three 100 plus tournament wins, undefeated wins to their names, uh, multiple top eights. Uh, and if you're a Tyranid player, now is a good time to be building lists. Now, obviously, Chapter Approved is coming around the corner, but if you think about the time frame of one chapter approved was probably made. Tyranids weren't doing so hot after the Adepticon FAQ, right? So uh, I predict that there's no real reason for Tyranids to get nerfed in chapter approved, right? And that's just kind of like using logical conclusions there. They, it's not like they're not like a Nari with like a 70% win percentage and they're not Castellans being seen everywhere. Um, so it's very, very likely that with with chapter approved, Tyranids are going to actually get even better going into the Las Vegas Open. Uh, so whether you're a Tyranid player or a person who is playing against a lot of Tyranid players, just kind of keep that in mind when you're building your list. You should definitely start thinking about ways to beat Tyranids as you're building your lists. You know, how are you going to handle Neurothropes? Um, can you handle multiple hive guard shooting? Can you handle Gene Stealers in your face turn one, charging you, getting shot across the board with a Swarm Lord? Can you kill a swarm lord who has minus one to hit uh, and probably hiding ban everything? You know, it's Tyranids are a very, very tough, balanced army to deal with. Um, and coming on their one year, their one year uh, anniversary uh, are looking really strong going into the LVO. So yeah, I would, uh, moving, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think Tyranids are one of the strongest codices that is around right now. Um, yes. You, if it's going into LVO and the next sort of part of the season here. We don't necessarily know what chapter approved will bring, but there's every reason to think that it is going to be all about swarm lists. Tyranids, Gene Stealer Cult, Orcs, things like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely, especially with Knights on uh, getting a, a some sort of nerf that that I think a lot of people are expecting um, because they've been so dominant. Uh, so moving on to Mr. Mark Perry, who also went undefeated uh, with Death Guard from Brohammer. Uh, Matthew Buchert uh, going undefeated with Imperial Knights, although getting low 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 points scored. Um, still going undefeated with Imperial Knights, holding it together for the Knights. Uh, I'm sure Matt. I'm sure Matt's list had a lot of interesting. Uh, knights in it or, or it could have just ran standard like, i don't know um unfortunately uh, we don't have access to the wars in atlanta they, lists they're actually all posted online oh um, i don't have access to the wars in atlanta because i'm bad <laughs> okay they're um, online yeah, right now his, his list is a castellan and two warglaives all house raven unsurprisingly and then a spearhead of space wolves with arjack and three units of long fangs um Pretty much all heavy bolters with a few missile launchers mixed in. Um, and then he has an Imperial Guard Battalion, the standard Loyal 32, with a couple of Hellhounds. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so so kind of like your typical Imperial Knight list. Uh, I would say it's fairly divergent overall. It does have the Loyal 32 to provide command points and backup support, but the inclusion of the Long Fangs as a supporting detachment is an interesting choice. Because that's... Yeah. It, it chews up infantry real well, as long as those dies don't get shut off the board. And uh, they're actually fairly good against many varieties of Eldar because of their ability to ignore penalties to hits. Oh, you're right. No, that's that's pretty solid. They, I guess they could outflank if they desperately needed to. Yeah, um, and then they can then ignore penalties to hit as they walk onto the board. Yeah. Oh, and then um, yeah, no. So that's that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like uh an interesting take on the Castellan list uh that we saw pr- you know pretty frequently in in the Nova list. Uh, mm-hmm. and then going back to Mr. Mark Perry's list since we skipped over in the Death Guard list, uh, he was running uh Poxbringer. He was running a Chaos Demon Detachment with Poxbringers and Nurglings for five command points. Uh, Demon Prince of Nurgle, a malignant plague caster, and a ton of plague marines and poxwalkers in a Death Guard detachment with a bunch of elite foul blight spawns possessed a biologist putrefier, uh, and then a Thousand Suns detachment with a sorcerer and terminator armor and a big unit of Zangors. Uh, so a very very interesting list overall. My guess, the biologist putrefier is the guy who enhances the Plague Marine's grenades. So I'm presuming that he he has his big unit of, I think, 18 Plague Marines kitted out with melee weapons, and he can use the stratagem so that 10 of them can throw grenades, and then the putrefier buffs those grenades. He can use the stratagems to make them do mortal wounds and reroll the warlord trait that causes them to reroll all failed wounds and everything. So that unit can actually throw out a surprising amount of damage at short ranges. Okay. Uh, and then moving back to Red Powell's list, the number one battle point scored player. Um, mm-hmm. He had a Prophets of Flesh detachment, uh, Dark Elder detachment with a Homunculus, Urien Rakarth, uh, and then a ton of racks um, with Venom Blades and Hex mm-hmm. Rifles. Uh, and then a bunch of what looks like a large unit of grotesques. He has two units of two eight grotesques, large, I believe. Yeah, two, two big units of grotesques. Um, and then a Bieltan detachment with a Autark Skyrunner, Farseer Skyrunner, and a Warlock Skyrunner. Uh, and then a Cabal the Blackheart detachment, as expected, with an Archon and three Ravagers 
Um, and two and raiders. Two raiders to carry the hem- the uh, homunculus units in, since they are still allowed to embark, even though they are Blackheart. Okay. Um, so that that's kind of it's kind of your your typical rack spam, you know, grotesque spam, grotesquery spam list uh, that you see a lot of Dark Eldar players run. Um, typically. Mm-hmm. Typically, I like more of the, like the Sean Naden style Dark Eldar lists, um, but really, you'll you'll see like three versions of Dark Eldar lists. You'll see like the, this list, um, you know, with the grotesques and the racks, and then you'll see like Talos spam lists, which is which is something that that Scarry from Scardcast made uh, had a lot of success with. Um, that's kind of like the Dark Eldar with the big unit you know, Talos in the center, and it kind of just revolves around them. And then you'll see a Dark Eldar featured in like this big mixed Eldari soup lists um, with with a kind of like a dark Eldar detachment with with mi- mixed Eldar, you know, Harlequins maybe thrown in there. Um, but those are typically the Drukari lists you'll see. Yeah, usually it's like a Cabal the Blackheart uh, with uh, often either Ally Talk Airwing or a Ulthway like Supreme Command detachment so you get access to Eldrad. Um, and then uh, whatever spice you like, either more Prophets of Flesh or a Cabal of the Flayed Skull if you're going to go with Venom Spam so, uh, so, and Raider Spam, so you get the, uh, the re-rolls to hit. Uh, that's that's kind of like your your little uh, Drukari soups. Although there has been a bit of a lift recently with um, Cult of... Cursed oh, Blade. The Witch Cult with the plus one strength. Yeah, Cursed yes, Blade. That's Cursed Blade. Yeah, uh, plus yeah one you're seeing that a lot and, more. Uh never take more than one casualty from morale. They are very, yeah. very strong when bringing units of witches in because mm. you don't realize just how hard it is to get rid of units of witches who are locking all your infantry down until you see them swinging at you at strength five or six. Yeah, yeah. and in a meta with a lot of hordes coming back, especially with orcs, like I, I can I can see Curse Blade being all over the place. It's pretty yeah. scary. Uh, and then moving on to Mr. Richard Martin, my boy Richard Martin, um, who I've got a funny story about that I think I'll talk a little bit about. I don't want to get into too much detail on that. But Mr. Richard Martin going 5-0 and with a Tau list, a uh, different kind of Tau list than, than the first Tau list we talked about today. Um, he's got a Cold Star Battle Suit, two Ethereals, uh, and then he's got uh, another Commander in a Crisis Suit with three Cyclic Ion Blasters, Dark Strider, um, who actually brought to the Iron Halo uh which is what I'll talk about in a second. And then one, two, three, three strikes teams, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten strike teams, uh, three Farsight Marksmen, some Pathfinders, and then three units of nine Sniper Drones uh, mixed in there with some Cadre Fireblades and other HQ choices. So a ton of characters and a ton of infantry models, um, no big suits. Uh, That's the kind of Tau that I like to see. Uh, and those sniper drones are nasty, man. Twenty-seven sniper drones is is actually really hard to deal with. Um, yeah, that but, is uh, pretty terrifying to a lot of things, especially when you pair them up with the plus one to wound stratagem. So they're doing mortals on both fives and sixes. Yeah, and so Richard Martin Martin is actually someone who he went to the Iron Halo uh, and did really well with Iron Halo. He lost it. He lost in the I think on table three, the final round to Aaron Along. Um, so he had the potential to actually win the whole thing. I think Aaron was, had drawn his last game or lost his last game, and Richard was undefeated. So Richard had a chance, if he had crushed Aaron Along, to potentially win the whole Iron Halo, um, which did end up actually happening. He actually lost to Aaron Along. Um, but that's actually not the first time they've played. Uh, Richard Martin star- started playing back in 2016, 
um back when when uh death stars were a real big thing when you had like the wolf star with with all the crazy stuff in the star and people running like dark shrouds with with dark angels to you know all that all that jab with the jinking and so uh richard martin actually played aaron along um on round four round five at the las vegas open and this was like aaron along coming off a top eight the previous year uh and then dominating for the whole year so this is like aaron along doing really well Ray Aaron Along and Richard Martin would, had just started playing 40k, so he was just this kid running these red tau, playing super slow. Because if you guys remember, that was back when people were running renegades and games were like going, going only going through like two turns, right? And Richard Martin was playing Aaron Along, and I, I walked by their game and I saw Aaron and Richard playing, and I was like, oh, you know, Aaron looks like he's gonna beat this kid. I didn't know who Richard was at the time, um, but when I came back to the game, Richard had barely won by a few points. And Aaron lost, and it was just this crazy upset. And so at the Iron Halo, uh, Richard came up to me, and we're talking, and and I was like, I recognize you. And he's like, Oh, uh, you know, um, I played in the Las Vegas Open uh, a couple years ago. I beat I beat Aaron Along, uh, and you came by our table and said hi. And I was like, Oh my God, that was you. Um, so Mr. Mr. Richard Martin doing doing uh, really well, taking down Titans in 40k, uh, and now now going five and zero at the Warzone Atlanta. Uh, and doing really with Iron Halo, so it's just kind of cool to see someone who just started playing. Um, you know, I, I actually watched him start playing, and now he's developed into this really good player, and he's doing really well at these events. Um, so I look forward to seeing more from Richard Martin in the future. Hopefully, he goes to the Las Vegas Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but m- moving on from that, I believe he was our last undefeated player. Um, just take a quick quick scroll down. Um, you never know with these battle points lists. Sometimes you get undefeated players hidden hidden in the in the lower rankings, but it looks like he was the last undefeated player. Uh, and then you had a lot of players who went four and one. Um rounding out your top ten, uh you had William Bundy with Inari, uh Doug Hennis Henningsen with Aildari, uh Stephen Mitchell with Alpha Legion, Will Taylor with another Taoist, um coming from Brohammer, Call Mr. Colin Watts. Um, Thousand Sons, who who are a resurging faction, as uh, as we will find out soon. And then Andrew Whitaker, of course, taking home the crown, uh, coming in with his Astro Militarum. Actually, he played Blood Angels. It was a mistake in uh, BCP. Um, he actually, well, he did have a small, he had uh, three primary psychers, was all the Astro Militarum he had in his list. He ran a, an interesting Blood Angels list that uh, ha- had, like, Mephiston, two Smash Captains, and I believe he had two Relics of Karens and he a did, Contemptor. He did have two Relics, two Relics of Karen battle tanks. Um, yeah. So, what? let me look at his list. He actually uh, was, quick. I believe, the best general uh, at the tournament. Uh, was he? Was, that's what he, he won the award the best for. Best overall. Best overall dude. Yeah, and, the best, uh, he, he won the whole thing. He, yeah. he got best overall. Um, the... Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. Um, but the mm. relic, the relic rule from Forge World, do you have to be in the same detachment or just your army? I believe I it remember. is just your army. You cannot take probably more your whole relic army. units in a given slot than you have other units of that slot. Yeah, not not a not a big deal. It looks like I'm trying to figure out his because he he leads off his list with the two relics of Karens in a battalion detachment, but doesn't have any troop choices in that battalion detachment. And then it immediately goes into a Supreme Command uh, detachment. So I was just a little... Yeah, you have to scroll to the bottom. And then he That's... has, like, a Contemptor, and he has something else in the Elite. Oh, slot, yeah, okay, so, so it's so it's yeah. it's all right here. I get it now. It's right the on. way that um, 
Battle Scribe does Forge World units. It's awkward and annoying. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. So the if you don't embed it, you you have to create your own like detachment, and it becomes a whole thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. Yeah. He's got a really interesting list. He's got the relics of Karens and that knight paladin, um, which is kind of an interesting knight choice. That's not a knight choice you see very often. Uh, and then he's got the primary psychers and just a tactical squad, a couple of tactical squads thrown in there, and contemptor dreadnoughts. So it's a really, really strange list. I'd love to watch Andrew play this list. Um, I believe uh, I you could ask Val Heffelfinger, like our very own, because he somehow beat him um and i don't know i don't know how that is possible given the Val's val list val and how beat. strong a player he is no val no uh, andrew, andrew no andrew beat val and that's oh, okay, that's, that's what good. i don't understand right like how do you uh, how, oh, like, yeah, why aren't you surprised uh, you know you, you know val got 70th place out of 100 players yeah that that's the top 70 percent. that's a c minus that's a good solid grade that that's the kind of grade that'll get you to become a doctor in the United States, that would that would be the bottom thirty percent, which is actually an F minus minus. Well, well, to, you know, to each their own, Sean. Sean. <laughs> I don't know math. Yo, know, half I, full, I like two to, thirds empty. <laughs> we have to I like I like a positive guy. <laughs> we have to stand by our brother. <laughs> no, no, he's uh, Canadian. He ain't my brother. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Throwing you guys to the bears. <laughs> but but Mr. Val Heffelfinger bringing the orcs to to Wars on Atlanta, um, despite despite uh, all these good Tau lists running around and um, having access to multiple armies and not being able to run Codex orcs, still brought the orcs, so, so I got to give him some credit there. Um, he was also the best Canadian at Warzone Atlanta. Um, yeah, he was he, also he beat the all only... other Canadians, all zero of them. <laughs> all, all the other Canadians. So Val Heffelfinger doing really well. And next time we have on the podcast, I'm sure he'll, he'll give us a little bit more about the Warzone Atlanta. And um, he remembered where his passport was this time. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's no shoe, no shoe passport. Actually, did you guys see? So for those of you listening, um. Real quick, if you didn't listen to this last episode or last year's episode, uh, Val Heffelfinger left his passport uh, in his shoe. I think it was for the ETC tournament. That's what it was yes, this yes. summer. Uh, and he left his passport in his shoe and couldn't find it. So he had to go through this whole big ordeal um, you because know, he lost his passport. And then it turned out it was in his shoe the entire time. And on Facebook, he took a picture of his passport in his shoe. And it was just so funny because it fits so perfectly. And so this year, traveling to Wars in Atlanta, uh, a lot of the guys in Canada took pictures of their passports in their shoes, kind of like <laughs> Hallmark, Val Heffelfinger's it's, glorious it's adventures. Ju- yeah, it's just it's like how we how support we, our own. Yeah, <laughs> just like how when Canada milk comes in bags and Canada passports come in shoes. Mm, yeah. There you go. That's we get them right from the government office that way. They send it in the mail in a shoe. Exactly. We have to buy the other one at the store. It's awful. Well, That's you get socialism. yours. You, yeah. you get yours to you on an ice skate, right, Peter? Because you're so far Me. north. Yeah, yeah. So a they polar just, bear brings it in. A polar bear brings it in on an ice skate. Got it. And the polar bear's also on ice skates, right? Yeah. Of course. There you oh, go. Man, I take back everything I said about Canada. It sounds pretty great. It's that sounds, pretty, sounds pretty awesome. awesome. <laughs> uh, but that's it. Uh, so we've got a lot of a, a lot of diversity. Um, still got a lot of really high performing Inari lists, uh, at least in Warzone Atlanta. Um, but you something that that well, I guess we'll just talk about it now. And and something that I definitely noticed at SoCal Open um, 
Brandon Grant's aside, Brandon Grant's performance aside, and that's Knight Casellans and Knights in general have just absolutely plummeted um, in the top rankings. Uh, their their usage stats are still high. People are still bringing them. Go ahead, Pete. Okay, but it just it feels like throwing out the hot one of the highest scoring players in the tournaments is a little bit strange it's like if you ignore the people who did well knights did very poorly (laughs) the person who did well and also you're right you bring up a good point sean um but i would argue that that it's really consistently is proving that it's really the player not the list um in almost all cases not always sometimes it is the list that brings the player to greatness but uh, i feel like Brandon didn't need that Nykastellan. And if you watch that final game, when the Nykastellan got blown up turn one, Brandon won anyways against Matt Johansson. Um, I feel like he didn't really need the Nykastellan sometimes. Uh, it wasn't super critical to his performance. Uh, sometimes not. not is not all the time, though. Like, his game against yeah. Nick Rose, the Knight did did work, and in a couple others. Um, Knights are and, not bad. Yeah. They did not get bad with the Codex. I think that um, the way to play them has definitely changed. Um, and, and you see it in like the, how the stats have changed for them. They're no longer in that like 55 to 60% win rate. They're more in, in line with like the 50 to 55, which is still good. It's just not like, oh my god, what am I doing against this knight? Yeah, yeah. So, so let's actually... Let's go ahead and talk about this now. So so we're going to move into the second part of the episode. Uh, but before we do, quick word from our sponsors. Go to Broken Egg Games if you want awesome templates for all of your stuff. Just click on the link on uh, frontlinegaming.org if you want wound counters, templates, 9-inch templates, and other 40k accessories. Uh, and of course, hit up frontlinegaming.org this month for our awesome Black Friday sale. We're going to have a lot of Great stuff lined up for you guys. Uh, I have control over the secondhand shop, and also I'm running GW now. Um, so I'm going to do my absolute best to get you guys the best deals possible uh, going into the LVO and chapter-approved era. So go to FrontlineGaming.org and buy stuff from us. Keeps the lights on. Moving on to the faction results and all these other data. Uh, so Pete, first off, thank you so much for taking the time to to bring up all these stats for us uh peter uh, on 40kstats.com if you haven't checked it out that's where we get all of our stats so if you guys want to follow along um you can go to 40kstats.com and download the file in there or just scroll through the the website and check it out um and also maybe give peter a subscribe i don't know if he's got a patreon set up there um or donations set up there not Uh, yet maybe someday maybe someday when I when I a, start to feel like it's a job, I'll ask people for money for it. I guess I, I really just enjoy start what sending them money anyways, guys. Well, just hey, just if you want to like, <laughs> send them money uh... by polar bear. <laughs> so tie it so, to um, a beaver and it'll make its way to him eventually. It'll, it'll go there eventually. Mm. <laughs> but uh, so so uh, Peter Peter went ahead and updated uh, more tournaments into the the tournament matrix, the the big soup of stats. Um, and how many how many games do, results do we have now, Peter? Uh, well, we're up to f- just over fifty five hundred um, 
unique games. So 11,000 recorded games, but everybody has to play somebody else. Uh, so so 5,500 games in total. I've gotten recorded over 20-some-odd tournaments now. Um, all the tournaments have to have a minimum of uh, 32 players. That's my, my low end. And a minimum of five rounds played for me to, to pull them up. And I, I don't collect any data from tournaments if I can't find um, at least 90% of their lists, either by bothering the TOs or using uh, Best Coast pairings or down-under pairings to get the data. Yeah, and, and this this is quickly... So so just to give you guys a, a brief brief view down the pipe... Um, of what I, I'm pretty sure I can't talk about all of this, uh, and if I get in trouble, I guess I'll find out later. Um, but there's so much good stuff that's going to come out of bo- both what the work that Peter's done and the stats that Best Coast Pairings are pulling uh, off of their app. Um, so, so if you want to, you know, if you want to see the 40k tournaments grow, um, if you want to see just your game grow, like X Wing, if you play X Wing, for example. Um, you know, really go to Best Coast Pairings. You sign up for the app. Encourage your TOs to use it. Encourage your TOs to submit lists and submit lists and encourage your friends to submit lists because the kind of work that Peter and Best Coast Pairings are doing are, are drastically helping our game, right? So, like, I know GW is looking at what we talk about. They're looking at Peter's stats. You know, they're smart. They know what's up. Uh, and just having a raw number that tells GW what's good and what's not good uh, and what's performing, what's underperforming, and what's over-centralized and what isn't is only positive for the game. Uh, so, you know, th- there's there's going to be even more coming um, that, that I can't even imagine. Um, just, you know, think about what we can do with Twitch, the applications in Twitch. Think like like what the NFL does where they, like, bring out a random stat from a player and it, it just becomes perfectly relevant to the situation. Just all that jazz. Graphs. Oh, my heart. Um, m- meta-analysis. Oh. Right, you know it, it's coming. Oh, it's beautiful. Forty it, <laughs> k is going to become uh, within within a year, as as Jeff and I like to talk about. W- within a year or two, it's going to become even more legitimate in in terms of uh, entertainment and uh, spectator sport. Um, so remember, the goal is to have professional forty k players playing forty k. Um, maybe not full time, you know, because that that's definitely a pipe dream. Um, because it's a very very expensive hobby. Uh, lots of traveling. But 40k professional players that we see who are who are maybe sponsored or under contract, so or or whatever, right? So that that's the dream is is getting all that stuff, and these stats is definitely a big step towards that. If you could see the stars in my eyes right now, thinking about that, it's great. That's why I do this podcast. The minute we have like a, a Super Bowl numbers, I quit. We're done. Like jobs finished. All right, that's never gonna happen. I'm gonna be recording until I die. <laughs> that's the way it you works. just wait. The comments on this one—it's just going to be guys sending you Super Bowl stats to try and shut down the podcast. Like it's all. It's oh no! <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and talk about this. So uh, you've got two—we've got two—I've got two sets of data here. I've got um, the data that shows us uh, uh, factions' performance pre the FAQ and post FAQ, and we're talking about that big September FAQ that came out on September thirty-first. Um, yeah. And so, let's... and so. Oh, go ahead. So just go ahead and take us away, Peter. Okay. So uh, what I've done is I went uh, I went through the data I've been collecting on 40kstats.com, and I, uh, I split it up uh, with all of the tournaments that I knew were a pre-FAQ, so from Iron Halo back, 
uh, which, uh, I, which if you want to take a look yourself, it, you can filter by date. If you choose October 5th and back, that is all of the tournaments that ran a, a pre-FAC tournament list. Uh, Iron Halo actually occurred on October 6th. I put it as October 5th to make it easier for me to split this data, specifically for this purpose. Um, and then all tournaments October 6th forward are post-FAC, post-FAQ tournaments. And what I wanted to do was take a look and see what, if anything, actually changed um, in way in terms of like win percentages for different factions um, and uh, their percent usage in the field. Um, so we have 3,500 uh, recorded games pre-FAC and 2,000 games uh, recorded post-FAQ right now in the data. Um, with that in mind, uh, the, the numbers we're going to talk about here, and if you, if you want to look at them yourself, keep in mind that there's probably going to be a one or two percentile differential that you can just ignore in most situations. Uh, so if you see that, uh, like an army had like a 1% increase in their usage or, uh, like a 0.5% drop in win rate, uh, that can be explained away with like, just like the limitations of the data we have more than anything else. Um, so, if you want to go to do field dif differentials first, there weren't a lot of changes post-FAQ on what people were bringing. Um, regular Eldar had a slight bump, 1.7%. Uh, a Thousand Suns went up a, a little bit. Um, Space Wolves have a slight jump, which you can explain away as they got a codex partway through that deal, so chances are you're going to see a slight, a slight increase. And Inari had a slight like 1% jump. Um, which, when I'm looking at the data, like the raw numbers, it's just new players that have come onto this realization that Inari might get them a win in a tournament, and, and they're bringing it. So you have this this core group of guys that you see at repeated tournaments bringing Inari, winning, and then you're starting to see like this new blood, um, which, which, sorry. Oh, oh so, so I was going to say, so go ahead and finish your thought. Well, no, that was it. Just like we see, like a little bit of new blood coming in, people that are, are looking to win. They're bringing the Inari because it's not a big, a uh, big jump to go from say Eldar or uh, to Inari. You just have to buy like a single model, right? And then, and then say, here we go. Here's my Evrain, and now, yeah. So what what's really telling here is is you you started with the the three armies, the three or four armies that that have seen growth from pre-FAQ to post-FAQ, but I want to focus on the three armies that have dropped in attendance. Um, mm -hmm. So your bottom three armies, these are armies that people are playing less, or factions that people are playing less since the FAQs dropped. Uh, Astro Militarum, Militarum have the the biggest change across uh, both primary faction field percentage and total field percentage at 4%, which is a massive drop considering it's four times the amount of the highest change. Uh, which is Azaryani with 1.7, or highest gain, sorry. Um, so Astro Militarum, a lot of players dropping their Astro Militarum. Um, Blood Angels are the second with 2.7%, uh, and then Imperial Knights are the third with 1.8%. Then the next highest dr drop is Tau with only a 0.7%. So Imperial Knights, Blood Angels, and Astro Militarum are, are getting dropped. Not, not like people aren't just throwing away their models, but... I would say that that percentage is also roughly equivalent to the amount of professional, like really top level players that have been running those lists and have switched to other armies or other factions or other lists. I, I that would be my guess. Yeah. Well, and to put that in context, uh, Astra Militarum, there's two thirds as many players bringing Astra Militarum as there were pre FAQ, and there's half as many players bringing Blood Angels. 
just speaking in sort of relative numbers. Those are big drops in the number of those armies that are you, you are seeing on the fields. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do want to call out, however, the two armies with the largest increases in their tournament attendance. Uh, I'm not sure if Peter particularly took note of these, but I certainly did. Sisters of Silence and Dark Mechanicus both gained a player. <laughs> yes, um, much to my chagrin because of the way I originally built the spreadsheet, um, having uh, Justin Kempel bring a primary Dark uh, Mechanicus list to SoCal Open uh, really mm-hmm. did ruin my day for about uh, half an hour as I... <laughs> As I scrambled to update a few formulas, um, Sisters of Silence wasn't so bad, but I have already made a second sheet uh, with Sisters of Silence in mind, since eventually we're getting a, a parent Forge World uh, codex for them. Uh, so I'm already ready when one of yep. you fools decides to make them a primary faction. Well, it's coming <laughs> in summer of 2014, so any day now. <laughs> so, um, sorry, go ahead there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's just great to see, and and then in general, of course, um, you know, there's there's more growth as well. Uh, the post FAQ performance, post FAQ numbers from are from BAO to September thirty first, and the pre FAQ numbers are only from through October to now, um, which is only a month and a half, right? Yeah, you reversed it, and, but yes, that's a, that's yeah. Point. So 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 the point I'm getting at is, is you've already got two thousand games played for post FAQ and you had 3,500 games played for pre FAQ, but pre FAQ lasted, you know, m- double the amount of time that the post FAQ has. So, so there's, it's, I just like to see that kind of growth, right? Cause, mm. cause uh, realistically, if we had four months of post FAQ and with these numbers were to continue trending and we were to not include like the LVO, which obviously would spike these numbers greatly. Cause we got so many people signed up for the LVO. Um, we would see more people playing post FAQ than pre FAQ if these numbers if these numbers start you know if these trends continue at this rate. Yeah. I yeah. don't. Are we actually oh. seeing an increase of number of players? Or are we just seeing Games a spike played. in number of tournaments? Yeah, because what I think this is yeah. is just I, we've had a, num- a number of large events that spikes the number of games played. There's not going to be a whole lot of tournaments in the next two months. Maybe. I mean, there were a lot of tournaments in, in like, August and, and, and July. Like, there were, there's sure. there's a lot of tournaments consistently. It, you're, you're right. You're right, Sean. Um, and obviously everything we say when we're talking about these numbers, you guys have to take with a grain of salt because everything we're saying is just speculative and not full, full on hundred percent truth. Right. So I can only draw my own kind of conclusions from these numbers, reading them. So I could very much be wrong about any of this stuff, any of the stuff I talk about. Uh, but you're right, Sean. And, and we'll see if we, uh, obviously we have to take out the LVO because the LVO is, is clearly going to <laughs> put a bunch of, put a bunch of numbers. I mean, there's 800 people signed up for the LVO, so. Okay. Uh, but again, this feels like, you know, removing the single biggest data point. It seems like a very strange choice when you're doing statistical analysis. Well, well, I'm, I'm only removing it to, to show that there's a trend in growth in games played. With LVO, I think there's like no question that there's going to be, uh, if you take like the last, the first five months post FAQ versus the next five months pre FAQ, and we're to compare them, if you include the LVO, I I think there's going to be without a doubt no comparison, more games played post FAQ than pre FAQ. 
I don't know. That what, feels what? it's not as though the FAQ itself is a good divider for you know, like there's sure no reason think to think that people there. started playing the game again because of the FAQ. It's it feels like a very arbitrary differentiation. Um, I I certainly think that the game is growing. LVO alone shows that, but mm -hmm. I don't think that is itself a necessarily any kind of uh, indicator that something is going on there. Okay. Well, well, we can agree to disagree. I think that's fair. No, it's not fair. <laughs> Rah! Well, let's, <laughs> um, let's get back to the to the actual numbers then. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of field percentages, um, I also broke it down by like primary faction and, and secondary faction. So you can see that as a primary, uh, Imperial Knights dropped about four percentage points. So, so that's where you're starting to see less Imperial Knights on the table. Uh, not by like a significant margin. You still got a one in ten chance uh, of face, uh, facing off against one as a primary detachment, um, but but the, that is a, a statistically significant drop um, given the amount of data that I have. Um, and then if you look at secondaries, um, that's where you see like the big dips for uh, for Astra Militarum. So less of the loyal thirty two uh, coming out there, probably because people think that um, the CP regen just isn't enough anymore to support what they were doing. Uh, modifications like that. I mean, I can come up with all sorts of different reasons uh, for why you're seeing less Astra Militarum as a secondary, but but it's there. Um, there's still 13% of your secondary detachment, so it's not like, like they've also disappeared or gone extinct. And Blood Angels dropping 2.68%. It's it's on the verge of being statistically significant given the amount of data that I've got. Um, and I mean that you can attribute to like the, the nerfs to the fly rule and to CP. Some people are looking for new ways to get their smash captain fix, um, moving away from, moving away from those thunder hammers and Mephiston. Yeah. The Astro Militarum decrease, it makes sense considering how many Astro Militarum players or how many players were bringing the brave 32 in their lists. Uh, but I still think the Brave Thirty Two, like I, I still think any significant drop is is kind of, kind of silly because it's still a really, really good, like detachment. You're still getting five command points for cheap. Um, Sean, if you were like a, uh, in your Talon Eldar list, if you were able to take an Astra Militarum detachment, would you? Well, I mean, my Tau list wouldn't because the Tau version of the Loyal Thirty Two is arguably better in every way except command the uh, warlord traits. Yeah, right. Um, but many armies absolutely would, and and still do. Like we're still, like Peter says, we're still seeing thirteen percent of people 13%. bringing a uh, an Astra Militarum army of some kind. The, the Loyal Thirty Two are still doing their work. They're just yeah. not so ubiquitous. You can't afford not to bring them. Yeah, you, and you're no longer seeing the Brood Brother Thirty Two. Like that's basically right. gone. I think I've seen it once since the FAQ, but that was definitely becoming a thing. Either uh, the Brood Brother Thirty Two or just the Brood Brother uh, Platoon One. Commander hanging out, yeah. like just... in the back. <laughs> One guy dancing in the background, telling all the Tyranids what to do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Getting my CPs. Um, so that's really it for field. Like I said, like there, there is there is some interesting information there, but there's not a whole lot. Like the Imperial Knight drop, Astro Militarum drop, Blood Angels drop. Those are big things. Slight increases to Inari. Um, Thousand Suns seeing a little bit more play as well as a secondary faction. Um, yeah. 
So that's really about it there. But when we go to win differentials, that's where we're starting to see some some bigger jumps uh, that are statistically significant and, and may make you want to like think like, or at least hypothesize why they might be. Um, so if you look at wins, we have the most improved faction being the orcs, who went from a 29.77% win percentage as a primary faction to a whopping 39.21, all on the back of Val Heffelfinger's 2-3 and three result at Warzone Atlanta. They, they went from the absolute worst performing faction to the fourth worst performing faction. Yeah, but I mean, this is an index army that, uh, like, all joking aside, also had a really good result out of um, Rich Kilton at SoCal. Uh, Jeffrey Hoven at Du Bois went 3-0-0. He might have gone 3-1, but uh, like, there seems to be data missing there. Uh, but regardless, like, there have been a couple performances in the last couple months uh, that have definitely uh, helped that rise but when you're when you're scrug- struggling at the bottom like going two and three jumps your your stats pretty significantly and there were a number of those uh in the last same month and a half um yeah. after that um you have dark angels which had an 8.73 per- uh, percent point jump going from 39 to a, a respectable almost 48 47.75 percent win rate um I looked into the data there, and uh, I, I just went at like the faction versus faction data, uh, ba- uh, and I saw that Dark Angels had a, a 57% point increase in their win percentage versus Astra Militarum post-fac, and an 18% point increase over uh, Imperial Knights, which were two of the factions they faced the most. So, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden, Dark Angels went from having a hard time against uh, that those AM detachments to just stomping the ever-living crap out of them. Um, and as we had kind of discussed pre-show, I think that's not actually so much uh, part of the FAQ as it is a shift in the meta, as you're seeing the the Dark Angels bringing their debuff librarians and the, the Space Angels trio that is debuffing knights and doing a great job against units like that. Um, hmm. So that's that's one important thing to remember out of this, is that although the FAQ is one of the factors that's playing into these changes it's definitely not the only one not every one of these number shifts is due to the faq many of them are just changes in the game for sure like if you look at blood angels which had a, a 5.38 percent jump they went from a 36 to a 42 roughly i'm not going to go into the, the decimal points when you look at their like uh, how they've performed uh, faction v faction pre to post there isn't a lot of changes it, it seems like it's more now that they're they're often playing at the bottom tables more than anything. I mean, you had a good performance out of Andrew Whitaker um, and a couple other players recently, but um, when you look at the majority of their games, it's against factions like uh, Grey Knights, Space Wolves, and, and regular Marines, armies that are already also uh, on the lower performing scale, so so that's, I think, giving them a bit of a boost to their numbers. Um, yeah. And lastly, from a statistically significant uh, win rate jump, uh, Death Guard. Went from a 44% to a 49, uh, about a 5% uh, jump. Looking at their faction v faction data, they they've seen a 20% increase in their win percentage against knights, um, and an 18% win increase over tau. Uh, Sean and I talked about this earlier. We're not quite sure where the tau one came from. Generally, the assumption would be that uh, Death Guard would have a harder time against tau, um, yeah. but in this uh this post FAQ world they're getting the wins um, cuz it it is it is a number of games over it's not like two or three where this has happened right so yeah it's we 
I don't have any easy explanation for it. It may just be an artifact of the data, or there may be something about the lists that they are bringing in particular. It, it would be very time-consuming to try and analyze that as a whole. But yeah. I, I think, personally, my inclination would be to sort of toss that by the wayside of this is just what happens when you have 5,500 games recorded, is mm -hmm. you have some weird little outlier piece of data. Yeah. Uh, so... So uh, I guess you're going to go into the different, the negative changes. I would, but if there's something you want to talk about, like go right ahead, bud. So, so the Inari, Inari dropping, they've got the biggest uh, win percentage drop in 6.7 win percentage, which obviously isn't as big as the orc increase. Um, but considering they were rocking a 66 win percentage pre-FAQ down to uh, basically a 60 win, 60% win percentage post-FAQ, um, I wonder. I wonder why. Do you, do you know why exactly that is, Peter? Like, is it because players, maybe top players, have switched for Inari, or or they're just not performing well, or well, what's the deal there? Well, from what I've seen, um, there. I don't know if they've actually switched. I, there's a couple that you've seen make a, a move to like standard Eldar uh, to try things out. Um, there has also been a like an increase in the amount of players playing in Ari, so you are getting uh, you know one or two more per tournament that uh, where generally you would see in Ari uh, like the worst performance being say a three and two. You're now starting to see like newer players with them going two and three because uh, or even one and four uh, rarely, but it does happen. And a lot of that comes down to like even though it's a very strong army, it, there is some complication to playing it. Right, you have to be very careful with your positioning to make sure you're getting your proper soul bursts off, etc. Um, so it is very easy to lose a game with Inari um, by inches, uh, just because you didn't plan everything out accordingly. Um, looking at the faction versus faction data, um, at post-FAQ, Inari have had a 26% point decrease in their win percentage against Thousand Suns. They, they're now only winning about 28% of their games against Thousand Suns. Oh, jeez. That's it's really, really the only. It's, it's really the only army... Um, well, Tyranids as well. They're at a forty-six percent win percentage now against Tyranids. Those are the only two armies that they that they're not fifty percent or greater against, um, with a with a like a, a significant number of games. They're at a thirty-three percent win percentage against Chaos Demons, but that's over like three games, so it's like that means nothing. <laughs> um, but if you look at uh, like their Tyranid matchups or their Thousand Suns matchups, they're actually playing them like a, a decent amount enough where I can say like there's something else going on there. It may be the change to the fly, fly rule, so it's less likely that they're able to fly over those hundred and twenty cultists or horrors or whatever the Thousand Suns player is using as a screen so they are hitting a smite um, it could be like I said earlier it comes down to you know there's a, a little influx of newer players that that uh, that are, are losing due to that one inch mistake they also dropped significantly versus Tau they're, they're now at a 50-50% win percentage uh, against Tau post FAQ uh, where before they won about 85% of their games yeah um so, so I guess the next one is, is Space Wolves, and the Space Wolves one is a little funny to me, because uh, they've <laughs> they've doubled in their total field percentage from one point two five to two point five. So the number of Space Wolf players have have literally doubled, and their win percentage went down by six percent from forty four percent to thirty eight percent. So it's like all the Space Wolves players are like, yeah, we got a codex, and they go to tournaments, and they're like, oh, not doing too well. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's, it's kind yeah, of a funny. I just I got an image of like. All this, every space wolf player like bringing their space wolf buddy because they all travel in packs, uh, and then going to a tournament and then just performing worse. Yeah, it's. I, I wish I could say 
something towards that. Uh, I do love Space Wolves. They were my first army a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Um, but yeah, the, the the average Space Wolf player is just not uh, putting up the, the proper performance to make it worthwhile. Yeah, the, they do better in the total faction win percentage because uh, a lot of a lot of people are playing like that that librarian list, the one with the Space Wolf Rune Priest in it, and the and like the the people bringing more Space Wolf Rune Priests and ally Space Wolves, so, and then doing well with it. So the faction mm-hmm. win percentage, if you just have Space Wolves in your army, is hovering around forty four percent right now, which is pretty good. Um, and then uh, something Reese was talking about. Uh, in terms of like what he's looking for in the total fa- in the faction win percentages, is he's just looking for a faction to go like to hover around the fifty percent mark, right? Mm-hmm. So, if a faction is going forty percent or less in terms of win percentage or sixty percent or more, um, those are the factions you want to look at. Uh, you know, but if you're if you're hovering around fifty percent, your your faction's doing all right. So it's safe to say like. Orcs at thirty percent are obviously terrible, um, but uh, um, I'm looking for a faction that people consider kind of meh. I get uh, custodes, so custodes are still hovering on that forty eight percent win percentage, um, even though they've they've dropped in usage and and they've been regarded as weaker. Um, they're still hovering around that fifty percent win percentage, so custodes don't really need a lot of help. Um, they could definitely use a meta shift, which they're getting with the knights going, um, kind of disappearing. So custodes lists, I can definitely see those more on the rise, um, especially if these infantry heavy lists start coming out. Uh, but if you're hovering around the fifty percent win percentage with your faction, I-, I think it's safe to say that your your list you can make a pretty competitive list with that faction. Yeah, I'd like to say that with the amount of data we have right now. If you're around between about 47 to 53 or so, you're you've got a pretty healthy codex um, for the most part. Most of those armies in that in that like two to three percentile differential, um, like they're they're they either have at least one list that they can win with, maybe not their whole codex. Like I find with custodies, it's generally like one list that does very well or a slight modification of it. Uh, same with like, like Tyranids is really running on like one or two lists right now to get their wins. Um, hmm. but like, like they still have it. And Tunits have a lot of other stuff in their book, just not being played. Um, a Tau at fifty-two percent for like a, as a total faction. Uh, post fact, they're doing they're doing fine. They might not be winning, like they might not be going six and zero or five and zero, but like they're able to compete. Yeah, yeah. I think anything that is in the forty-five to fifty-five range is probably doing well enough. That five percent. Uh, shift on either side is is kind of just what you get with different lists in the context of the meta Mm. um of course as peter points out some of those armies only have one list that can do that which can be kind of unfortunate um but that at least gives you something you can win with and something that you should be able to put up results with at tournaments um yeah and honestly anything that is in that range you should probably be able to win a GT level event at. Yeah. Uh, it is entirely plausible that your 55% win rate codices or even 45% win rate codices are taking GTs. Yeah. yeah. And so the the way I like to I kind of like to look at it is if you're like if you're like in Nari for example or or if you're even if you've got like a uh, if you're 60%, which is 5% more than 55%, which is the highest barometer for a good codex, you're an overperforming codex, like Drukhari, you're a really good codex. That 5% might not seem like a whole lot, but that's 275 games played, 5% of 5,500. 
That's 275 games played where Drukari are performing really well. Uh, and then if you spread that across multiple tournaments, um, players are only playing like five or six games at a tournament, right? So that's like, if you if you take my kind of math with a grain of salt, that's like 60 tournaments won by Dark Eldar. You know, out of out of you've only got limited tournaments, right? That could just absolutely destroy a region if if all those Dark Eldar players were concentrated, like in San Diego. Like if you can if you can imagine the next sixty tournaments played in San Diego were all run by all won by Dark Eldar players, or all Dark Eldar players that had a sixty percent win percentage at those tournaments. That'd be crazy. And so this is obviously spread out across the entire world, uh, not just concentrated in one area, uh, but they do tend to concentrate at large events. Right, so like the Las Vegas Open, Nova, etc., where you get these large concentrations of people all showing up at this one spot, and so, so, instead, sixty percent, sixty percent, I think is definitely where you start to, you probably have to start looking at a list and going like, oh, it's a bit over centralized now. Hmm. Yeah, like your Inari, your Drukari, your Thousand Suns that are sitting in that sixty percent win rate, uh, Harlequins, uh, well, basically all of the Eldar lovers. Um, like anything with knife ears is definitely probably overperforming. I mean, uh, like Asuriani, not so much as a primary faction, uh, but when used as an ally, it's dominating. And I really think the only reason why Asuriani are sitting at about a fifty percent um, is that like a lot of the really good players are just using Drukari and Inari instead, and then they're allying in like that 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 little ally talk detachment that they want, or BL ten detachment, or Ultway, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's all that is. I'm sure if uh, we didn't have Drukari sitting around or Inari as an option, Asuriani would be, you know, easily the 55 to 60 percent mark just there because like it's a it's a really good codex. It's, it maybe not be as on par as Drukari, and I mean you can't when you can take all your best stuff and make it better with Inari. Obviously, you're just going to do that instead. But, but like, yeah, anyway, yeah, I started the level. It's good. Uh, yeah. one, one weird little thing that jumped out to me, and it may just be because of who I tend to go to tournaments with, though, Grey Knights are up 3.5% as a primary faction, but down, what, 3% as a total <laughs> faction win percentage. So, yeah. apparently, if you choose not to make them the leader they sabotage you i'm very confused <laughs> well i will tell you that that is from a very small data pool and the only reason yes. why i didn't highlight it for you guys was because it was such a small change like gene stewart Colts had a 10 percent drop in their uh, win percentage as a total faction but that's right. with like eight people using them and one yeah. of them is nick rose so that's why their primary faction didn't drop right it's like and so yeah, I, I know a handful of the Grey Knight players who are probably contributing materially to the changes in the way their numbers work out. Exactly. So those numbers are uh, like are small. The reason why I, I talked a little more about, say, Dark Angels or Blood Angels is because they actually have like at least a statistically significant amount of players still trying to use them or, or using them successfully. Um, yeah. If you look at this, uh, another one I wanted to talk about briefly, they didn't have a big jump, but they had a small jump, and they're already fantastic. So it's something really you want to look at is uh, like Thousand Sons, who were at a fifty-eight percent win percentage prefac, and they went up to sixty post uh, sixty point one three. Uh, like to put that in perspective, I mean that's uh, 
that means that they're definitely four and winning more than they're two and threeing right at a tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had some really good results. Matt Morisoli won HammerCon in Australia with a five zero and zero. T.J. Lanigan went four zero and one at the Boys GT. Uh, Alexander Huckaba went four one and one at SoCal. He was best Thousand Suns there, and he brought Rubik Marines. Like, what is wrong yeah. with him? Yeah, the um, Thousand Suns, as no, we no, mentioned earlier yeah, in the podcast, we've, guy, we've been uh, watching, if you listen to this games, podcast and you've been listening to this players, podcast, so uh, as, if you listen, listen to this podcast um, at, from basically Nova on, you'll notice that the trend, Thousand Suns have been trending up since then. Uh, Thousand Suns have been doing really well, so it's no surprise. Um, and I think, I think obviously it has to do with that Chaos Demon, Zinch Demon Princess getting the ability to smite. So you, you got, the, kind of, they kind of got their smite factories back. Um, but the Thousand Suns lists are just so good. They have so many tools. Uh, I would say that now with some of the changes to the Imperium, I would say that Chaos Soup is probably to up there with Eldar Soup. I'd say those are probably the two best soup lists right now with maybe Chaos edging out Eldar uh, because they have so many more options than what Eldar have in terms of soup. Uh, but Chaos Soup lists are very, very good, and Thousand Suns are also very good as well. Yeah, the yeah. ability to, to farm out all those smites is incredibly powerful, as everyone who played earlier in 8th edition will remember. And Thousand Suns still getting to cast four, five, six smites per turn, it can be just backbreaking for some lists. Yeah, for sure. All right, so so I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and close out some of the podcast here with the sub-faction changes. Um, it, I just wanted to mention one thing here, just because I thought kind of funny. Uh, and that's in the the Adeptes Astartes sub-faction uh, pre-FAQ and post-FAQ results. So Ultramarines pre-FAQ had a 53% win percentage. Um, and they are the most played Space Marine detachment. Oh, um, that's use, but, used, not win percentage. That's They were 53% of the field. Oh, okay. Okay, so not... I'm sorry. So <laughs> the so the sub-faction changes aren't win percentage, they're... No, I just I got went it. by field because the the data there isn't enough data there for some factions to make it worth my while. So darn, I was gonna say that ever since Reese and Nick Donavati stopped using Ultramarines, they've gone down. But uh, yeah, so so Ultramarine players, there's been a ten percent drop in Ultramarine players played. Um, I would like to take credit for that because uh, if you guys remember the last time we talked about these stats, I said that Ultramarines were the worst performing Space Marine faction, and they were also the most used. So all those Ultramarine players listening to to uh, Papa Smurf Pablo uh, decided to hang up their blue boots and blue gloves and try out other factions. Yeah, so I'm sure that's not how that happened. Mixed. Yeah, they all they all went to the mix. They started taking other things now. Um, so are there any are there any data points here in the sub faction changes that you wanted to kind of talk about, Peter? Um, there's not a lot. Uh, if you look. Chaos Space Marines, Alpha Legion took an 11% dip um, in usage. Oh, man. With the, no shock there. With the change. Uh, uh, what's worse, Cult Mechanicus, uh, Stygies, 30% dip in their usage. That's from, so... Go ahead. Yeah, they went from 65% to 35% post-FAQ. Um, that is how you kill a faction. <laughs> yeah. That is, you just nerf the only thing that makes them good. Because they were at 65%... All of the admec lists, sixty-five percent was Saiji's, which is basically all the admec lists. Um, and then dropping down to thirty-five percent, they're still the they're still the majority. Um, but uh, it, it's just it's just that's just brutal. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see what else. Uh, Drukhari, you saw a 13% drop in Cabal the Blackheart. I mean, it's still everywhere, but not everywhere, everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you're starting to see a little, like I'd mentioned on a previous cast, more Cabal of the Flayed Skull, more Cult of the Cursed Blade now, and more Prophets of Flesh, which, I mean, it was winning anyway, so. Not a big yep. thing there. Um, Imperial Knights. Uh, there was a slight drop for House Tyrannus and House Raven post-fact, which was kind of expected with their nerfs, and a pretty big jump for House Crast. Hmm. Uh, going up to yeah, 6%. Yeah, 6%. Uh, that's a big, that is a pretty big jump. Yeah. Uh, yeah, considering how many Knight players there are in general, that that ju- that 6% is probably equivalent to like a 20% on a, on a weaker, like Harlequins, for example, just because the sheer amount of players who play Imperial Knights... Um, yeah, it, it amounts to like an extra ten or twelve uh, people that have, that dropped, say, Raven and Tyrannus, and moved to Crast. Uh, yeah, where for another faction, it just might be like two or three dudes, right? So, yeah. So, so um, there was actually something that uh, speaking of night houses and their performances, uh, there was something that Peter and I were talking about uh, before the cast start, and that was the win percentage of the Castellan list. So, so if you were around forty k competitive forty k back in pre-FAQ back in September and um, though summer. Uh, the the list is the Castellan with a Blood Angels detachment and an Astro Militarum detachment, Imperial Knight House Raven Castellan specifically. And it's just absolute brutal list. Uh, and I'd never actually gotten uh, the win percentage of that list. Uh, I've always meant to, but Peter managed to pull it out. And Peter, what was the win percentage of the, the list, the Castellan list um, pre-FAQ in its heyday? Pre-FAQ in its heyday there was about, I want to say 30 like and I, I wish i hadn't I'd kept that data i think it was 34 uh, people had attempted that list at major tournaments it had a 74.13 percent win rate that is bad that that's better than anari that by a lot by, it, almost it was, five, it's the best by i've seen by a by a lot right and and it yeah. was it was all over the place uh, when you consider it um yeah and so, so now, um, obviously, knights are they're they're trending down, um, and, and just pretty much across the board, uh, there's been a drop a drop in the like the House Raven lists pre and post FAQ. Um, pre FAQ, they were sixty; they had a sixty five percent win percentage, um, versus post FAQ, they have a fifty five percent win percentage, um, and then the House Raven field has been has dropped from a nine point six percent to an eight percent, um, in terms of usage. Uh, Which is so, still pretty ridiculous when you think about it. That you know, eight percent of all lists uh, have a have a House Raven Knight in it. That's that's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's still pretty crazy. That's the, they're still really popular, right? So they they still make up thirty six percent of one of the most played factions. Mm. So they're they're still going to be very. You're still going to see a lot of knights. Um, but I you know I. I Unfortunately, people aren't playing that. The well, I guess fortunately, people aren't playing the Castellan list, so we don't have its win percentage now. Um, I guess you could kind of argue Brandon Grant, but he didn't bring Blood Angels, so so it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Um, but I, I definitely like to see these results in tandem with SoCal Open, um, the the Castellan list, the Castellan plus Imperial soup of some kind is is definitely whittling down. Um, which I think is great. It, the seventy-five percent win percentage when it was when it combined the factions combined in that list were making up like more than more than a third of all of the lists you played was just getting absolutely silly. So 
uh, it's good to see good to see a, a titan fall. We will forever remember you, Knight Castellan List. Um, when we think of seventh edition Windrider Jet Bike Inari and Death Stars and Battle Company, uh, mm, you will live. Gray Knights, for, you'll you'll go into that bucket. <laughs> you'll you'll forever live on in our minds as a terror of 2018 summer for 40k tournaments. Um, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, Sean, Peter, are there anything else you guys want to kind of add into this? Any any little highlights, little things you guys want to talk about? Mm, I don't think so. No, I'm talked out, bud. Right on. All right, guys. Well, thank you, Peter and Sean, very much for coming on and talking stats with me. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, look forward to a shooting episode on Chapter Tactics that should come out this week. Uh, I've been delaying it a little bit. Um, I, I kind of wanted to spread it out longer than the Psychic Phase episode, but it's very, very good. I recorded it with Nuk Nadavati, uh, Don Hoosen, and it, it should be it should be really good. It should be a really good episode. Um, we, it was kind of more of a, a different format than the other uh, 8th Edition 101 episodes when we broke down the movement phase and the different phases of the game. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. Look for that this week, uh, probably sometime around Thursday, uh, maybe Wednesday. And then, of course, go to FrontlineGaming.org, Black Friday sale, one more time, because Reset, if he, I didn't mention it three times on the podcast, I would get fired. So I don't want to get fired. <laughs> there you go. Three times. There you go, Reese. I know you're counting. Uh, but, as always, my name is PDPob. You can always email me, FrontlineGamingPDPob at gmail.com if you want to know any lists if you want to know any tournament stuff if you want to talk about your list if you just want to talk general 40k stuff or nonsense if you like the podcast if you hate the podcast whatever i read all your emails i don't answer to all of them um, but i do read them all so go ahead and shoot me an email if you're interested um, and of course check peter's 40kstats.com website out is awesome it's it's great it's a great resource uh, if you are a podcaster or if you are um meta guy or if you just like looking at numbers and stats uh like i do so mm, and a big thanks to uh, robert knight for helping me out uh, the other day with a couple of stats things uh, it was greatly appreciated right on robert knight you're the man you're the champion sean thanks very much again for coming on you were also the man by the way sean um yeah. but anyways guys thank you very much and have a good one Bye bye